I'd like to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to focus on Luke chapter 2, and we will not be starting with verse 1. We're going to skip down to about verse 21 to begin our study this morning, this afternoon. Before we dive into the Word here, let's just bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you again for the Sabbath day. Father, we thank you for each individual who's gathered here together to worship you. We pray for wisdom. We pray for guidance. Father, as we open the Word, as we read text after text, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher that you would fill our hearts with your word, that you would give us a new understanding of the intent, the importance of this message. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Our sermon today is, uh, it's called the Simeon and Anna, the Two Faithful Witnesses. And we'll begin our story here in in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. You know, for for thousands of years, the inhabitants of our our dark little world sank deeper and deeper under the reign of Satan. But there was always a small remnant of survivors who kept alive the promise of a Messiah. But even among the remnant, there was uh, a distorted vision of the Messiah and what his true purpose was. One Christian author explained the situation in this way. The earth was dark through misapprehension of God, that the gloomy shadows might be enlightened, that the world might be brought back to God, Satan's deceptive power was to be broken. Like the stars in the vast circuit of their appointed path, God's purposes know no haste and no delay. In Galatians 4, starting in verse 4, the Apostle Paul testifies that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. When the fullness of time was come, Jesus came into this world. Jesus came right on time, exactly when predicted. A prediction that was given over 500 years before the event took place. We read in uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. We won't go into the details of this prophecy today. We could easily spend um, all of our time looking at this time prophecy. But here in Daniel's prophecy, chapter 9, the prophecy of the 70 weeks, or the 490 prophetic days, the 490 literal years, we see that Jesus came exactly when he was predicted to come. 
When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was very little fanfare or recognition by religious or civil authorities. This long-awaited event was without the splendor of a red carpet celebration. Indeed, the, the infant was laid to rest in an animal feeding trough, laid to rest in a manger. There had been no extravagant gender reveal party with colorful pyrotechnics. Although there was a small band of angels who lit up the field with God's glory after finding a small band of uh, shepherds who were ready to receive the good news about the Redeemer's birth. And later, a group of wise men from the east would come in pursuit of the Messiah. But sadly, Messiah was a concept that was far from the lips and the minds of most of God's chosen people. Yet, it was God's design that the arrival of the Messiah would be acknowledged in his holy temple. Today we see, we will see that the, the public testimonies of Simeon and Anna uh, were an important part of God's plan to reveal Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. According to Luke chapter 2, verse 21, we read that Jesus was circumcised as at eight days old as was the Jewish custom. And his name was called Jesus, uh, a form of Joshua, both names coming from a verb meaning to deliver or to save. Forty days after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took the infant to the temple in Jerusalem to be dedicated to the Lord. This was in accordance with the time of the mother's ritual purification after giving birth to a son. We find uh, this practice in the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 12, starting in verse 2. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days, according to the days of the separation for her infirmity shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. During this time, she shall touch no hallowed thing. She shall not come into the sanctuary until the days, the forty days of her purifying be fulfilled. Now, I don't want to go uh, down a rabbit hole, get you too distracted, but it's interesting to note that uh, for a male child, the days of purification were 40 days. But if the mother gave birth to a daughter, uh, that she was required to observe an 80-day purification. That's found in Leviticus 12.5. Twice as long as was required for a male child. Now, Scripture is, is silent on this gender-specific difference. Scholars have debated the reason for this. Some have speculated that it had to do with the potential for a female child to become a mother herself in future years. And somehow uh, this translated into a double purification time. Other scholars disagree with that. They've posted uh, various other explanations. But uh, just a little interesting aside there. We, we don't really know why there was this difference. 
Leviticus 2, verse 6 tells us that after the mother's days of ritual purification were ended, there were two sacrifices that were required, a burnt sacrifice and a sin sacrifice. But most of the affluent parents could bring a lamb as the burnt sacrifice, and then they would bring a turtle dove or a young pigeon as a sin sacrifice, as a sin offering. But Joseph and Mary, they brought two turtle doves, one for each of these two offerings, one for the burnt offering, one for the sin offering. And and this was permitted by Mosaic law. You can find that in uh, Leviticus 12, verse 8. So for financial reasons, Joseph and Mary probably couldn't afford to bring the more expensive lamb as their burnt sacrifice. But, you know, perhaps all this was within God's providence, too, because Jesus himself was the true Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the earth. Well, as Joseph and Mary are completing their temple activities with the priest, the young family was approached by Simeon, whose name means God has heard. Simeon was a just, devout servant of the Most High, And he was spirit-filled. In Luke 2, starting in verse 25, we read, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms. Simeon lifted up the Christ child in his arms, taking him from his mother Mary. You know, it was no happy coincidence that Simeon was in the temple that day. The Spirit of God had led him to that place at that time, and instructed him that the Christ child was this child before his eyes. Simeon reaches out, lifts up the infant, and praises God, testifying that this child is the salvation of the Lord. Simeon delivers a a pretty amazing and and wide-ranging prophecy here that we'll look at. The spirit of prophecy falls upon Simeon. And while he is speaking of things that are yet to come, he reinforces revelations that are already recorded in Old Testament Scripture. In Luke 2, verse 32, Simeon declares the child to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Echoing the proclamation of Isaiah, that thou should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou may be my salvation unto the end of the earth. That's found in Isaiah 49, 6. In verse 34 of Luke 2, Simeon continues by declaring that this child is set 
for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. He uses here kind of prophetic imagery about Christ being, uh, being setting up many to fall in Israel, which is very uh, similar kind of imagery to Isaiah 8.14. Isaiah 8.14 warns that to both houses of Israel, he, the Messiah, will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, a trap and a snare to the dwellers in Jerusalem. Still there in verse 34 of Luke 2, under divine inspiration, Simeon declares that Jesus will be a sign which shall be spoken against. A sign which shall be spoken against. I think there, there are multiple ways that we can see how that prophecy came to, came to be fulfilled, how it came true. Certainly there were those who murmured against Jesus, who spoke out against him and his disciples and his teachings. Decades later, Jesus himself would refer to his own death, burial, and resurrection as a sign for his generation. He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know, another example where Jesus' life was equated with a sign um, the Jews asked Jesus to show them a sign that he had the authority to chase the money cha changers out of the temple. Remember the, the cleansing of the temple. The Jews wanted a sign from Jesus that he had authority. And Jesus simply said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking, of course, of the temple of his body. Fittingly, this sign of the rebuilding of the temple in three days became an issue that was raised at the interrogation of Jesus in the, at the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. It was uh, a sign, the building up of the temple in three days, it was a sign that uh, was mocked and made fun of. There in Caiaphas' house, they accused Jesus of, of, of nonsense. How could, how could this temple be, be rebuilt in three days? They didn't understand what he was referring to. So this was a sign that was derided and spoken against, just as Simeon had foretold. Finally, as, as Simeon nears the end of his testimony here, he forewarns Mary that there will be trying times ahead for her personally. And I think God in his, his great love and mercy um, he, he didn't want Mary to be caught off guard and to be completely emotionally unprepared for some of the troubles that would come to her in the future. So he instructs Simeon to reveal, in verse 35, a sword shall pierce through Mary's own soul. A sword shall pierce through your own soul, he told Mary. Now, one, one might question the helpfulness of, of such an alarming 
and, and non-detailed message. But it was intended for those, for someone who was walking by faith, not by sight. It was really intended as a, a reminder that, that God is our only source of strength, of protection, uh, of guidance. Troubles may be coming, but Scripture is filled with promises to counterbalance our fears. For example, Isaiah 41.13, we find the promise that I, the Lord, thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Finally, at the end of verse 35, Simeon closes by stating that through the Messiah, the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. How are we to understand this? Well, I think we, we see this principle illustrated throughout, throughout the gospel ministry of Jesus where some like the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. He revealed his heart because he had much wealth. He wasn't willing to give it all up. While there were others like James and John who immediately left their fishing nets and followed him. Indeed, we see this revelation of hearts displayed across the entire history of humankind. As each man, woman, and, and child must decide for themselves, what do I do with Jesus? Satan himself reveals his own heart and shows that he is a liar and murderer by his cruel treatment of Jesus on the cross. But perhaps most importantly, Think about the revelation of hearts. God's heart was revealed. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God emptied all the treasures of heaven on our behalf and revealed his heart of love toward his creation. But I think that, you know, the testimony of Simeon is, is quite powerful, but to the Hebrew mind, the Hebrew way of thinking, there needed to be at least two witnesses to validate the truth of testimony. That was part of their legal system. They didn't pay a lot of attention to a single witness, but if they had two or more witnesses, then the testimony became believable. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, At the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. This is quoted in Matthew 18, 16, this text from Deuteronomy. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So eager to validate this truth that had been spoken by Simeon to Mary and Joseph, God sends along a second witness, the prophetess Anna, she comes along just as Simeon is completing his testimony, his prophecy. Anna is the Greek version of the Hebrew name 
Hannah. And it means favored one. Hannah was of a great age, according to Luke 2, 36. Having been a widow for the past 84 years, she was older than 84. She was a widow for 84. She had been married for only seven years, had a fairly short marriage before her husband had died, and she had never remarried. She had been a widow for 84 years. And she joined the small group around the Messiah just as Simeon was completing his testimony. In verse 37, we read that Anna departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Basically lived there in the service of God, living in the temple. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him, that is the child Jesus, spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Notice to whom Anna was speaking. She spoke of Jesus to all those who were looking for redemption. Beloved, where is your heart this afternoon? Are you looking for redemption? Are you following the Redeemer? Matthew 2.21 says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus meaning deliverer or savior, because he shall save his people from their sins. 